Hi, my name is Joe Coy. I lead the worship band at Noblesville First that currently plays the 945 family service every week. And I'm here with our scripture reading today from Acts 1, verses 9 through 12. After Jesus said these things, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going away, and as they were staring toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood next to them. They said, Galileans, why are you standing here looking toward heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. We are thankful for the gift of scripture. Amen. Well, today is Ascension Sunday. And this is one of those holidays that you're probably thinking, is this one of those Hallmark holidays, you know, where they try to get you to buy cards? But actually, it's been a significant holiday in the past in the church. It actually comes 40 days after Easter. Remember, Pentecost comes 50 days after. And the ascension has been marked to try to signify the Christ who went up to the heavens to take his proper place at the right hand of God. Often there's been some significant customs practiced in the church. But one of those would be uh, processions that go around the churches. And they'd have a banner at the front that'd have a lion representing Christ. And then there'd be a banner at the back that had a dragon on it representing the victory of Christ over the evil one. Some churches would actually have at the front an image of Christ that would be lifted up and taken through the roof of the church. All those things to commemorate that Christ who came down and humbled himself has been lifted up. So why don't we celebrate Ascension Holiday? It, it would normally be on that Wednesday, 40 days after, uh, and it would include a feast and celebrations. So, so why don't we celebrate that? You know, as Methodists, it seems like with our pitch-in happy uh, tendencies, we would love this holiday. But somehow this holiday has gotten lost between Easter and Pentecost, which is next Sunday, 50 days later, which represents the Holy Spirit, which I guess is a, a bigger deal to us. But I wonder if part of it's because when we talk about Christ going up into heaven, it's something that we who've now been into space know that it just doesn't quite register. Uh, heaven is not something up there, but it's a, it's a different spiritual realm. So we need to focus, I think, I'd like to focus on this holiday. Consider what it might mean for us. And, and don't forget, next Sunday is Pentecost, and please remember to wear red, all right? Now, if you don't mind, I'd like to try to mine a little meaning out of this ancient holiday. I think it has something to say that's important for our spiritual lives, I think even more it has something to say that's important for our witness to this world. And it has several layers of meaning that we could talk about today, but there's one key theme that I think speaks to us, especially it speaks to me, that I think we'll find if we read the uh, another scripture that comes along with this holiday in many places. And I'd like for you to read it with me because it it's actually fits well as liturgy. Uh, scholars believe that Paul didn't originate these words, but that they were a hymn in the early church that he incorporated into this letter. So would you join with me as we share this together in unison? 
Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God something to exploit. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave and by becoming like human beings. When he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly honored him and gave him a name above all names, so that the name of Jesus, everyone in heaven, on earth, and under the earth might bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. So this passage suggests that the ascension is the affirmation, the coronation, the exaltation, if you will, of Jesus for his willingness to humble himself on our behalf. Jesus chose to leave the comfort, the companionship of the Holy Trinity to come to earth and deal with our messes on earth. In other words, because Jesus was willing to come down, he was lifted up in the most amazing way. Now, I'm not sure we fully grasp the significance of God coming down and being lifted up into heaven. But just try and imagine how hard it would be sending your own son down to earth and all the messes that are here on this earth. We complain all the time about the messes we have. But believe me, in Jesus' day, it was much more difficult. It was more brutal, certainly more frightening, and and definitely more challenging in that world, at least for anything we experience in our part of the world. So, So just imagine that conversation that would have taken place uh, I, I guess it would be a form of self-talk, right? God talking to uh, God's self. When that portion of God that was sent down to earth that became the historic Jesus. And I just kind of imagine the conversation going something like this. So, so the father would say to the son, okay, are you sure you want to go down there? I mean, have you seen what those Romans do to people they don't like? Have you, have you actually looked at what they do with the crucifixion? And, and please don't waste your time with those religious leaders because they only care about their own power. And they neglect the need to share salvation and peace with all of our children. And, and, and are, you, are you ready for all the suffering you're going to see, the people that are hungry, the people that are going to come to you for healing? And sin is just simply rampant. And the son saying to the father, well, yes, father. You've tried everything already. I mean, you made that covenant with Abraham and with Israel, and they've let you down. As soon as they seem to become prosperous, they forget where all those blessings come from. And then you sent the prophets, and that worked for a few. But then they'd resort back to their old ways. We've got to do something different this time. We've got to do something that shows your love as genuinely as it can. So you can't send me down there as a king or they'll follow you for the wrong reasons. We're going to follow you because we show them what real love looks like, sacrificial love. And yes, I'm ready for that. And I trust that you will cover things for me. And then God will say, yes, don't worry. I've got your back. You take care of business down there, and I'll take care of things up here. And together, somehow, we'll defeat all the forces that lead humanity astray. And then Jesus was born to Mary, a humble servant girl, in the town of Nazareth, 
And the rest is history, right? But imagine how hard that would have been, how difficult, how challenging that experience would be. I'd like just to dwell a little bit more about what it means for Jesus to empty himself. If you look at at Philippians 2, 7 and 8, it says he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, by becoming like human beings. And when he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, I'm afraid that Christians too often have taken the, the event of the cross and so removed us from ourselves, we so idealize what it does for us as our act of salvation that we remove the calling that it really has upon our lives. We've turned that formula. If, if you talk in theological terms, it's taken the substitutionary theory of the atonement and remove it from ourselves by taking it to the extreme and missing the point of the cross altogether. See, Jesus died on the cross because the way of the suffering servant is the way that God will transform the world. True love is found in giving of our lives for others. The way of the cross is also the path for us who truly want to find God in our lives. Didn't Jesus say, take up your cross and follow me as we find it in Matthew 16? All who want to save their lives will lose them. All who lose their lives because of me will find them. And and that's just not, I'm just not talking theological platitudes with you. That's true in real life. The week before this past week, I had a a conversation with Ann McNulty. And if you don't know Ann, you know that she lost her husband, Barry, at the age of 59 to COVID. It's been a very tragic situation, but she was sharing with me how much grief share had meant to her, how she's in a much better place because of that program and what she's learned in that process. Because for her, Barry's death was devastating. I mean, they had just bought a boat. They had all these adventures planned. They were going to retire soon, and they had this whole last chapter of their life ready to start when he was taken so suddenly. And she said, I realized going through grief share that I had God in a box, that I was actually following God only because of what he did for me. And I discovered that's not really faith. And so now I realize I want this last chapter of my life to be a way of serving others. And she's looking for ways to plug in, to find ways to make a difference in this world. Last week we also heard uh, from Don Harlow. We showed the video of her as she talked about what grief share had meant to her. And, and she talked about losing four of her grandparents in a short period of time. She talked about the miscarriage that she experienced. She talked about losing her mother at the relatively young age of 67 to cancer. And at first she thought, God, why are you doing all these things to me? And then as she processed it, she realized that that, that wasn't God that God was using these things for her. And when I think back to my own life, I realize that the times of my greatest growth have been in times of challenge and suffering. That's when I've experienced the things, the experiences that I can reuse in my life to help others. It's those experiences that make us who we are. It's the crosses of our lives that really make us what God can use. 
So I encourage you to take a deep look at your faith. Is it based on the external blessings you want God to bestow upon you? Or is your faith grounded in the Lord Jesus, the one who emptied himself, coming to us in human form, becoming obedient even to the point of death, death on the cross? Now, I want to come back to this idea of the ascension once again. And you'll note in verse 111, it says, Galileans, this came from two men who come after Jesus has been lifted up. It says, why are you standing here looking toward heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go to heaven. I, I think there's some pretty good advice here. And it's hard to understand that. It's really kind of hard to interpret because we don't live in the first century where they thought Jesus was going to return in the clouds in the same day. And by the time that this passage is being written, there are a lot of questions that people are wondering if they misunderstood Jesus' original words, if they were to be taken literally or if he had something else in mind. But I think what is trying to be said by those two men who are watching those disciples staring up at the heavens he's saying, okay, let God worry about that stuff. Your job is to get down and get busy doing what Jesus taught you to do. Get to work. And so the disciples did. Well, I think that's pretty good advice for us today. I think there's too many Christians bemoaning the sin and evil of this world and forgetting that Jesus taught us how to deal with that sin. And the answer is not through controlling others, it's not through power, but it's through the sacrificial love that meets the desperate needs of this world. I certainly believe that Christians are going to be a whole lot better off in this post-Christian world if we're going to start letting go of the need of controlling others. Just letting go of any illusion of power that we might have and decide that the only way that we're going to find a voice in this world is by taking the way of Jesus. Tony Campolo shares a a great story, I think describes how that works in our world today. Uh, He was a professor at Eastern University that's in eastern Pennsylvania. And in a town not far from there, there was a discussion among the state psychiatric hospital that they wanted to start some halfway houses in the community. The idea was that it would be kind of a a step into society for those who were on their way to recovery and give them a chance to acclimate and then eventually get jobs. And so they had in mind starting five halfway houses in in the neighborhoods. So they had a gathering of the city council and 500 people showed up from the area to protest that. And there was a lot of shouting, a lot of screaming, a lot of declaring, we don't want those, quote, crazies in our neighborhoods And so after all that discussion, the city council took a vote. It was unanimous to ban those halfway houses. And just as they finished that vote, the doors at the back opened to that meeting, and would you know that in walked Mother Teresa. She was in town for a, a meeting of the Sisters of Charity, And she'd heard about this event, so she came over and she marched down the aisle and she got down in front of that city council on her knees. And she said, please receive these people. Please embrace them as Jesus would embrace them. And then she raised her arms 
and said, please, 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 love them as you have loved us. And said that five times over and over. Well, what do you do if you're on the city council? So immediately, someone raised a hand. I'd like to take a vote to reverse our, our decision. There was a second. And quick discussion. There was no protest from anybody in those 500. And what did they do? They had the television cameras followed Mother Teresa into that meeting. Newspaper reporters right there. And what they report afterwards was that what was the most amazing thing with all those 500 people, not a single voice protested what Mother Teresa had asked for. Now, where did she get that kind of authority? Where did she get that kind of power? She got it from the streets of Calcutta by serving others. And that's where we'll get our voice today as Christians. That's where we'll find our power as we seek to try to change the world and make it in the way that God wants it to be. So let's celebrate the ascension of Christ and make it more meaningful to us by realizing that what goes down, what humbles ourselves, what allows us to embrace the suffering that will come as we live into what Christ calls us to be, that that's where our power, our influence will come in this world. So I pray that we'll learn that the best way to change this world is through the sacrificial love that's demonstrated in Christ Jesus. And that's the best way to celebrate on this day the ascension of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, help us to embrace the cross. It is not only how you bring us salvation, but it's how we will change the world. As difficult as it is, it's the way that does bring life. Help us to celebrate on this Ascension Sunday our Lord and Savior who did humble himself even to the point of death, death on a cross. For this we're thankful. Amen.